Hello and welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a show where we talk about developer tools, experiences, and the people behind those products. My name is Darko and I will be host your host today. Yeah, feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're watching us over the YouTube. And with me, I have a Christoph Zalasa. So thank you so much for joining us. No problem. It would be special. Great. Yeah, let me give you a chance to introduce yourself. Okay, so I'm working at Google Cloud as customer engineer. During my daily activities, I'm supporting customers of Google Cloud in terms of architecture, cloud components, solving their technical challenges. So, you know, during last year, which I spent at Google, I saw tens or even maybe hundreds of architecture, solution architectures. I discussed it with customers. I supported them in amazing challenges, how to solve it, how to attack it. Of course, you have whole Google behind you, so it's possible to do it. It's more or less my role. Okay, great, great. And uh, just to jump a little bit in the past, so prior to joining Google, you worked as a developer? Yes, yes. So prior uh, I joined Google, I worked as software developer, then as architect, solution architect, cloud architect, this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm writing software for more or less 20 years. So it's a significant amount of time, I think. I'm still a learning person. It might be interesting for you. Mm-hmm that I just started at home because 20 years ago, I cannot find a working script for writing guest books for my website. And I decided to do it on my own. I used a book with PHP free and it was my first software 20 years ago. And for now, my primary language is Java, mm-hmm. but sometimes I also use Python, Ruby, everything what I need at Google. And it's also my personal opinion that developers might use every single language which they want. Of course, if they are not against it, they just need to be open to learn more and just learn new tools. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be open to <laughs> to the language or whatever new. Yeah, yeah. 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 For instance, I had issue with a plugin to Elastic and this plugin is written in Java, but it requires some code in Ruby and back was in Ruby. So just need to fix it in Ruby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Okay, moving from that journey that started 20 years ago to the present day and what you are working on, you said that you in just last year touched you know on dozens of architectures. What might be interesting for our viewers is what are the patterns that you are seeing? What is maybe something which is uh, very current for, uh, let's say, this year? Yeah, yeah, I see some patterns definitively. Maybe I will start from something which is not obvious for developers, from voice recognition. Because, you know, when you are talking with developers, you usually think about writing some code in Java, Python, etc. But for now, there is new interface, which is very interesting. I'm a father, I have two sons, and, you know, they are too young to write something, use YouTube in a way how a mature person can do it. Mm-hmm. But they can ask, hey, Google, please play Optimus Prime versus Decepticon <laughs> on TV. <laughs> and it just works. So it opened my mind to be more familiar with Google Assistant. And I believe it's very important to be familiar with power, which voice recognition and control over your software using voice might bring to you. Of course, it's not so easy to implement it on your own. And it's the reason why usually customers ask us for as Google Cloud for help here, because, you know, it's quite hard to define it as a software when the software will be able to recognize voice, especially in 100 languages. You know, it's very hard topic. 
And it's a thing that you can just use pre-built API and build real apps. And I was really amazed uh, that during cloud events or developer events, developers reached me at Google booth and asked me for how then they can implement very crazy ideas using this software, like how to blow a balloon. So you just go into your microphone and then balloon on the screen is growing. And after all, you see some crazy commercial just for you. This kind of ideas you can implement just using this voice control. So it's very interesting part. Of course, it sounds like something funny or maybe useful that you might order eat or taxi just using assistant. But I believe it's a future and real business also is interested in. So for instance, enterprises are very focused on voice recognition in uh, their call centers mm -hmm. because it's challenging. Let's imagine that you need to hire people speaking in 20, 30 languages and have some kind of technical background. It's very challenging to support peaks of calls, this kind of stuff. And this voice recognition brings new opportunities how to solve these kind of issues. And it answers a very important question. You know, at Google, every single person is asking one question. Does it scale? <laughs> Does, it? Does it scale? And it's not only about Gmail, etc. It's about every single process and every single thing which we are doing. So I believe it's a very nice way to really scale some things and open it to more broader audience. As I said, my kids are able to watch exactly this cartoon which they want and they cannot read and write yet. So it's really, really amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's interface that has been around for thousands of years or, you know, who knows yeah. how long. I mean, for me, it was uh, super interesting. I think it was a couple of months ago where Google Translate is now able to almost synchronously translate what you're saying and even, you know, catch up the pronunciation that you're making and your the emotion. And I guess it's one of those things that you haven't imagined that you will be dealing with. <laughs> you know, as a cloud architect, you are thinking that you'll be speaking about instances, scaling, yeah. etc. It's a part of my job. But you know, voice recognition, it's something which I was surprised. And after all, I recognize that it's a real hot trend because, you know, if you have one customer which is asking for it, Okay, it's just a case. Yeah. But 30% of my customers are asking for it. So it's significant amount, really. Okay. And it's really nice to be familiar with uh, tools which makes it happen. Just check it, how it works, and uh, think a bit about it. Because, you know, when you think, as you said, it's interface implemented thousand years ago. But on the other hand, it's very challenging to do it in computers. And behind scene, there is machine learning. The second thing, which is very important for customers for now, they would like to solve many complex problems using machine learning. And there is a lot of myths about it. You know, people think that there is a Skynet or something like this. You just might wrote, wrote down a task for it and it will be solved. And it's not so easy. For now, it's a process. You need to collect data. You need to label this data. You need to clean it, you need to train model, verify parameters, repeat it, etc. It's quite challenging and uh, it's process. So it brings you a new opportunity. I, I'm not sure if you haven't heard that uh, folks from Google created a bot which wins against pro players in computer games. Not chess, which is, which is static, but game which requires real skills. And it's possible because of machine learning, but in other hand, it's quite hard. So our customers approach it in three ways. First is that you have your PhDs in math in your team. And really, really trust me, I met them. 
customer from gaming company comes to me, yeah, yeah, I'm a PhD and I have six PhDs in my team and we would like to do this and this and this on Google Cloud. And you know, <laughs> okay, so <laughs> just tools. And we as uh, Google Cloud can provide it. Opposite direction is, for instance, I work in customer which need image recognition in their mobile app. They are taking photo of text and based on the results from API, this text is converted to search query and uh, it provides results. I cannot share the details, but it's very, very interesting app. And these folks are mobile app developers. They have no PhDs in math yeah. and they can do machine learning as well. And it's just a different approach that you might use already built model and use it in your own use case. And there is always something between because sometimes you need to put labels, for instance, in factory. We had this use case that customers would like to label some products, recognize their products. So you might use pre-built model but provide your own set of data in order to train and extend capabilities of this model. And it's very fine also. So it's the way how you might approach these machine learning challenges. But machine learning, it is a part of almost every single conversation with customers. It's used with analytics. It's used by developers. It's used by marketing teams. So sometimes folks from IT department are not aware that their company is already using machine learning. And it's quite funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both of these areas that you mentioned, I mean, you could say that they're almost the same category. There is some machine learning in behind, but I would say for most of developers that are used to, you know, I'm moving file around or I'm, you know, parsing, moving some data around, these areas are maybe something which is definitely out of the comfort zone. Is that something that you are seeing also? Is that there is some factor of like fear of uh, unknown when it, I have an impression that they are scared about machine learning. Mm -hmm. It's more about that they overestimate what it can bring to them. Okay. So it's the way how it works. But you know, I prepared workshops. We have initiative with one of our Polish customers that there is some kind of series of trainings with people which would like to learn how to create games, mobile games. And one day we spent eight hours on cloud workshop. So mobile game usually use some kind of cloud behind it. Mm -hmm. And during this workshop, I prepared for them very simple lab with chat. And during this chat, you may also upload picture. And our API rates this picture. If it is okay for audience, or this content shall be moderated. Mm -hmm. And they implemented it just in one hour. Cool lab. So it's relatively easy to just implement it because it's just calling an API. So every single developer is familiar with calling APIs, right? Sure. It's part of our life, integrations, APIs. So I have no impression that it's scared about, but it's that developers sometimes are thinking about machine learning, that it's something which might be presented on conference, but it's too hard to use it at home. Then I bring them some examples how they might start playing with it. Very basic approach will be not enough. They might try to do something more advanced. And it's like with programming skills. Initially, I wrote guestbook, right? It's very easy app. Yeah. But in my previous roles, I prepared quite complex apps. Yeah, so you're demystifying machine learning yeah. people pretty yeah. much. Yeah, so it's about discussing some myths. And in other hand, providing easy way or quick wins, how to start with it. And then they're trying more and more. And it's fine. I really enjoy it. Great, great. If maybe we can uh, 
move to something which is touching the lives of developers, or let's say the most of us, and uh, maybe it's the Kubernetes and the cloud in its own. So are there any patterns with Kubernetes that you are seeing? What are maybe yes. some of the challenges that, yeah, that people yes. are? Obviously, it's also on my list. So Kubernetes, uh, it's also part of almost every single conversation with customers. So. For now, you won't be surprised when I told you that every single app development is thinking about microservices. Every single modern app which is created is prepared using microservices approach and obviously Docker behind it. So Kubernetes is the unified way how to manage it. In Warsaw office, we have Kubernetes development team. Mm -hmm. We have support team, so it's quite close to my heart. <laughs> it's quite close to my desk. <laughs> you know. And folks from Kubernetes and the way how it is developed, I believe it will become just industry standard or it is already industry standard. Yeah, you could say that. It depends who you are asking for. But in general, I believe that most people will agree that it's industry standard. And, you know, standard case when you're thinking about Kubernetes is just deploy your application with microservices. Then some developers starting thinking that it's hard to manage connections between them. And it's the way when service mesh comes to discussion. So people are experimenting with console or with our Istio, and it brings connectivity, security, a lot of things, simplifies some networking, etc. because of set of features. So you have single Kubernetes cluster, microservices, then you think, okay, maybe service mesh. And then you think, okay, we have single cluster, but what if this region fails? Yeah. So then you will start thinking that you might create second Kubernetes cluster, the second region, and connect it and uh, balance traffic between two regions. I'm working with fintech customer, which exactly is doing it. So then the service mesh makes more and more sense because it might balance traffic between two regions. And if one fails, you have second one. And it's the way how it works that Kubernetes setups became more and more advanced. And at Google Cloud, we have also quite nice marketplace. I'm working also with partner engineering team, which brings software like, for instance, Elastic to Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. So you might install it just one click, or you might also use Helm if you wish. It's up to you. But it's quite easy to install app. So when you are a developer, you might create cluster in one single CLI command. Okay. You might deploy MySQL or Elastic, Red, everything what you need in few Helm commands, and that you have up and running environment. Let's think how it was challenging 10 years ago. Yeah. And for now, you might just update version of this MySQL, for instance, to new one without upgrading operating system, without tens of tests, etc. You might just update single component. So interaction between components, etc., is fine, but it's very interesting how easy you can add your own things. But what I'm really surprised when I work in Kubernetes, I'm not sure if you have a chance to hear about Agones. It's our open source extension for Kubernetes, which makes possible to teach Kubernetes how to manage game servers. When you are building games, game servers are stateful. Mm -hmm. It's not a stateless workload. Of course, you have stateful sets in Kubernetes, but usually stateful things are a bit more challenging in Kubernetes. And there is add-on to Kubernetes, which you can just extend its capabilities mm -hmm. and teach Kubernetes to support game servers. So I was really surprised how 
how it's possible because behind it there is Kubernetes. Everyone heard about it, but you can extend its capabilities if you have special kind of workload. And it's the beauty of this solution. So I definitely think that because of its extensibility and power of features, it's a tool which every single developer needs to be familiar with. Yeah, I was mentioning just that in a couple of last episodes when we talked about Kubernetes also is that it's like a very solid ground work. And in years that are in front of us, you know, many abstractions need to appear to make it even easier for people to use. As you said, there are a couple of commands, but still, if you want to do something complex, that YAML piles up. And yeah, Helm is here to the rescue, but yeah, still there are things that you must learn. Going back in this section about uh, Kubernetes, you mentioned Istio. And yeah, I can share you know, a bit of our war story. So last year, when we were preparing a new version of Semaphore to be launched, we launched it at some point in November. I think that we, you know, spent maybe a good month, you know. Okay, so this just cannot go into production without Istio. You know, it will not work. We cannot manage it. We don't know what exactly is happening in the communication between those services. So we just had to make a pause, learn Istio to some extent, then we can use it. And once it, you know, settled and we were able to get the data from Envoy proxies that are sitting all around the place and they're talking to each other, then we were like kind of, okay, now we have some charts and graphs and, you know, rates and and all that. And now we understand what's happening. Yeah. So you touch one more topic, which maybe it's worth to discuss that SRE site reliability engineering, because you know how to keep your application alive in production. For some developers, it's important, for some not. It depends on your team and uh, your background, etc. But I believe that even basic background and basic uh, knowledge about SRE is very important for every developer. It switches your mindset a bit, not only to create very good clean code, but but also to create something which will be possible to maintain in production with a desired level of uh, reliability. Because if you are working on very critical part of your app, for instance, if you log into your system is not working, probably it's not good for you, right? (laughs) Because users cannot use the rest of your system. So I believe that SRE is also a very good topic to at least watch some presentation or maybe read a book provided by Google. In previous roles, I had challenges that we try to focus our management to implement more features related to reliability, fix some bugs. But they told us, no, no, features, features, features. And when it fails in production, it was annoying for both sides. And site reliability engineering provides service level objectives and error budget. And there is clear numeric indicator. We might focus on speed up our development, or we need to put more attention to our reliability and this scaling issues, backup, etc. So I believe it's also fine place to explore for developers because it's about using development practices like code review, writing real software, not just a bunch of 1000 line bus scripts, but real software, which solves some challenges. And uh, it also makes your life easier in terms that it defines how to handle on calls, how to implement good monitoring in order to do not wake up on 3 a.m with no good reason, right? Yeah. No one likes it, but sometimes it happens. So I believe that it's area which is very interesting for developers as well, but it's not so obvious. 
and almost every single customer which provides high-scale apps with high amount of customers is interested in this area. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's very fresh, that transition. So the first version of our application that we were running, it was around for, you know, five plus years, and it was a monolithic Rails application. So you initially get a beefy server, you know, with lots of RAM, lots of CPU, put it there, you know, spin it up. That's like 2010, you know, thinking. Then you get a couple of more, but you know about them. But, you know, whatever feature you have created, it's somewhere there. So our practice was that there was someone, you know, who was monitoring that process. What's the level of RAM and the logs and all that, but it's a single thing. So... Essentially, you as a developer could get away without going too much into that. Partly DevOps, but it's like a SRE area that's more precise. And now with, uh, you know, 20, 25 microservices that we have right now, you have your own Grafana dashboard where you have, you know, all the steps, you have your monitors, you have your instance of your microservice that you're running. So it depends on the team and organizations, but for us, it's kind of not a choice if you're interested in SRE. <laughs> you know, you have to take care of your baby, <laughs> your microservice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's how you describe. It becomes a bit a must-have. And, you know, it's also about thinking about reliability just from starting this new microservice. And obviously, it's also about the deployment process. For instance, that you won't deploy RPM and login via SSH every single instance or something like this, right? It's not in 2019. It's not the way how it's handled. So obviously it's also about integration, continuous deployment, testing, but black box testing as well, monitoring these topics. And as you said, it's very important to keep it in mind. And obviously migrating from monolith to microservices, it's also very common topic in our conversation with customers. So project which success are using evolutionary approach. Yeah. Monolith, the most important part of this monolith as a microservice at more, more, more. And then this monolith became smaller and smaller. And it's the only way how to do it. Because Big Bang during a cloud days in Warsaw, there was about three or 400 people in the room. And I asked who succeed in Big Bang project and one hand was right. <laughs> One hand. But, and he didn't have the other hand. <laughs> uh, but this guy told me that it took very, very, very long time and yeah. a lot of testing process, etc. So a lot of so stress. It works. Yeah, their choice. Yeah, yeah. It's all about trade-offs. So you don't have a release train anymore or you don't have to ask, I'm just going to ship my microservice which calculates this or does this thing. But then again, I will be very responsible for each deployment that I do. Yeah. Yeah, most customers, but some of them are also using a product that devs are preparing microservices. There is dedicated team for maintenance, but almost in every single more complex topic, teams need to cooperate. Yeah, sure. So even with a shared responsibility, there is no way around and you will be involved in the investigation process and something like this. So it's the reason why you need to be familiar with those topics. But as you said, it's very interesting area, a lot of topics to cover. And definitely it's on top of list for developers that you need to be familiar with. And a few years ago, I haven't heard about it. Of course, I used some pieces of these tools, but for today, it's obvious that you are describing your continuous delivery and continuous integration pipeline as a file yeah. and as a code. I can remember time where clicking into user interface and defining it over and over again and 
with 20 microservices when you're defining the user interface will be crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. So the tools and this practice that's uh, define infrastructure as a code, pipeline as a code, everything as a code, changed uh, a bit industry and I believe it's the way how it shall be solved. Yeah, I have an idea for the last question where I can, you as a maybe consultant. <laughs> so there is approach, of course, you are building your system from a you know, number of microservices. So you might want to spin up a new cluster, deploy everything there, run end-to-end tests across everything. And then if the change that you did to maybe one of your services is like working well with others, you are going to ship it in production. But what I discovered over time that it's not always the practice, but you know, you just deploy maybe your canary release, let some traffic and decide on that if you want to push it further or not. Between those two approaches and working on field with many teams, how would you say that those two approaches compare? Are there like uh, people using exclusively one approach or exclusively other approach or? You know, it depends. More advanced customers are mostly interested in testing because obviously they have many layers of tests, right? It's not about just putting canary release to production without unit tests, yeah, uh, sure, sure, or end-to-end tests, etc. It's obviously part of their pipeline. So base of this pyramid of tests mm-hmm. is constant between customers. Obviously, some uh, microservices which are more important for customer are well covered. Some not so well, but you know, it's reality and it's business decision. Sure. But integration testing, what I observed that customers which are using this canary releases, for instance, they are delivering features faster because it's quite complex to synchronize 20 microservices developed by a few teams, or I have customers which have tens of teams, development teams. So let's imagine that they need to synchronize their releases and conduct tests when some of them are pushing to production about 20 features per day, 20 commits or deals, how it's called. So let's imagine how many Kubernetes clusters you need to set up and test it. And it's the reason why they decided to use approach like Canary release, because the testing here is a key. Yeah. Without it, it's very challenging to keep your integration tests really working because every single week there is new feature added to some services. So let's imagine this QA team which will be preparing tests which will cover all new combination of features in this microservices. And then this QA team needs to keep it alive and execute their tests. So uh, I believe it's not something which will be good for a long term, but sometimes when, for instance, your monolith application is already well covered by test, then you might decide to do it temporarily, but it's not a long-term solution from what I observed, obviously. You know, some special cases may happen, right? It's not a rule which fits for all use cases, but most of my customers at the end are using approach like Canary releases and they are implementing SRE practices. Yeah, yeah. At some point during the development and deployment, I was at least presenting that, you know, position that, okay, we must run it all together every time before we push it live. In practice, over time, we never really established that. And we changed to the practice that we are more and more releasing, you know, just can release. And there is also that challenge that you mentioned. So we don't have that monorepo approach, which would be also interesting to hear if people are using that. And doing that accounting, you know, which revision of which service do you need to put together to align them? And just to sync your staging 
you know, or test environment to the production environment, you know, aligning all those 20 or for some teams, maybe 100 revisions, it's very, very hard thing to do. Yeah, and usually challenging is persistence layer because you need some test data. And when you add one field, then you need to, you know, update this your testing data and it impacts your tests. It's just very, very challenging. And if you add some kind of UI test on top of it, so for instance, when 20 microservices provides API for UI and some kind of browser test, this kind of stuff, it becomes very hard to develop and maintain and it slows down development process. But you know, there are some verticals where agility might be sacrificed and low risk is better. But Absolutely. in most cases, it's not the best approach. Yeah. I mean, you could say that uh, CI, continuous integration, is one of those things because absolutely, you know, reliability of your CI system, which is pushing, you know, your tests and your builds, you know, please make it reliable, features will come. <laughs> it's a very interesting topic. I know that you might be a bit out of time, but it's very interesting that customers which are not using SaaS CI CD, mm-hmm. but they are using, for instance, Jenkins, this kind of tools, mm-hmm. usually deploys it in single instance, single Jenkins master, in single region with no HA, mm-hmm. and then implements whole deployment process and some fancy monitoring tools on, on top of production. But it's quite common that they are not thinking about security of the CI CD mm-hmm. and they have credentials, they have power to deploy or redeploy up uh, there. And second thing, when the single instance is down, they have no option to release. And it's more advanced customer just creating production and testing CI CD. But, you know, it's up to your business. But from my point of view, when I work in previous roles, I preferred software as a service solution here. And I just described this pipeline, put it into one place, and it wasn't my business to keep it alive. A few companies ago, when I need to find against the master a very sufficient amount of resources and failing stuff and differences between slaves and master, etc., it was a nightmare. And how to split CI/CD across many teams because some teams prepare more CPU-heavy tests and you need to wait ages for your build. And for now, you might just define it put it as a service solution and just use it. And this solution provides SLA for you. So it's not your responsibility to keep it alive and you might just think or your business and how to add value to your app instead of thinking about how to add reliability into your continuous integration. Because for your company, it's a goal, right? But for most of companies which are writing software, it's not my focus. Their focus is to providing features. Yeah. Yet another system that has to have a really, you know, high availability. I mean, yeah. internally, when we are just listening, we were talking about, you know, this just the conversations around CI that we are obviously, you know, talking a lot about it. And there was a line that came that, you know, CI is a beating heart of your team. <laughs> we just go boom, boom, boom. And, you know, it must be alive. Business people in most companies are not asking, how is your deployment process working? Is it reliable? No, they're just thinking about features, bug fixing. Yeah. It's a thing which they are focused on. But if we cannot release because our CI CD is broken, they start thinking. So I strongly encourage you to start thinking before you'll be in travels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It was very interesting conversation. 
all the topics that we touched upon. I mean, the first ones about voice and machine learning still feel like science fiction, <laughs> although they are in your living room. But yeah, many interesting things will come from those. Okay, again, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, good luck with all the challenges and architectures that you are going to tackle in the time in front of you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to meet with you to discuss very interesting topics. And if you have any questions, please use comments in YouTube. Yeah, yeah, sure. Please do. Okay. And subscribe if you haven't already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Christoph. Bye. Thank you. Bye.